Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 70 for December 14th, 2006. Freenet and Tor. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. And by Dell. For this week's specials, visit twit.tv slash Dell. Time for Security Now with Steve Gibson, the security guru from GRC.com. And we are so glad to get you back on every Thursday, Steve. We have not missed an episode. Nope, we're never going to, Leo. I just, I mean, I'm willing to, you know, you know we recorded uh, last week's, actually yesterday, which was three days early for for last, last week's week. episode. Right. And now we're recording this one on the following day on, on Tuesday. A week early. For a week and two days early, because you and I are going to be together in Toronto next week. So, But I appreciate your doing that and your willingness. And, you know, while the, most, much of the Twit Network is going to go to sleep for the, the two weeks of uh, Christmas and New Year's, you continue on. You, you well, there'll always be you, a security now if you're getting desperate. And you know, Leo, I'm very competitive, and I'm watching the fact <laughs> I, I'm watching the fact that, that that our episode numbers are creeping up on Twit You're because beat every them. every time Twit you know right. uh, takes a pause or a little hiatus, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, good, I get a couple numbers closer. So. You, you are going to beat them. Yeah, Twit's at uh, let's see, you're at seventy. Twit's at uh, seventy nine, eighty. So the, yeah, oh, it won't take much longer. And I think we'll take a week or so off because I'm going to Mexico uh, for Christmas. So I think we'll take a week or so off for Twit. Well, I'll only lose you one or two episodes. Yeah, so. I'll lose a few more just for you. Okay. <laughs> so last week, we talked a little bit about anonymity on the Internet, how difficult it is to achieve, first of all, but also the political ramifications. And, you know, there are pros and cons. But I think we concluded ultimately that if you want, if you believe in free speech, you have to support anonymity of some kind. Right. I I, I felt a little concerned that last week's, episode might have been a bit of a fluff episode that is you know not deep security technology we're going to make up for that today but i really wanted just to to take the time to talk about the issue i mean like the social side of this because you know it is important and we're talking about very very significant technologies that that powerful entities like the RIAA and and the government with the DMCA copyright stuff, and and I mean foreign governments that want to regulate free speech don't don't take this issue of of anonymity and privacy with a grain of salt. I mean they they've got organizations that are all about preventing people from being able to speak freely, and as we know, our own U.S. government has now disclosed that they're they're recording and. And wiretapping, as you know, as much of our country's telecommunications as they're able to. So, and from you know, a non-political like, point of view, we just uh, learned that the uh, the government is going to start requiring businesses to save all emails and instant messages for three years. So, you know, yep. you, even at work, you don't have any privacy, especially yep. at work, perhaps not even even. 
So, but I think it's important that we did talk about that mainly because, uh, we often in this business talk about the technology, but don't talk so much about the ramifications. I know when I sit down with Phil Zimmerman of PGP and we did it a number of times on the screensavers, uh, I always tried to bring up this issue. Uh, and he's good about talking about it, but, but frankly, as most engineers are, he'd rather talk about the technology. So I think, yes, it was, it was fluffy, but it, we needed to do it. Yep. Well, that's behind us now. So let's now so get, get ready. Some, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and in fact, we're going to be using a lot of the foundation that we established. Um, I guess it was either early this year or late last year, all of that crypto stuff. We spent a number of episodes talking about public key, asymmetric, and also uh, so-called private key or or symmetric cryptography. We're going to need that foundation. And remember at the time that I, I wanted to lay that foundation so that we would be able to have then conversations that assumed people understood that stuff so that we could talk about the the all the fascinating ways that this kind of crypto is able to be assembled and 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 put together in in different well essentially to achieve different sorts of goals. We're going to get to our subject in just a moment but first uh, a a short commercial break for Astaro and Dell. As always this episode of Security Now is brought to you by the good folks at Astaro Corporation, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. If your small or medium business network needs a superior a device to protect you from spam, from viruses, from hackers, as well as complete VPN capabilities and intrusion protection and content filtering and an industrial-strength firewall, all in a very easy-to-use, high-performance appliance. You want to check out the Astaro Security Gateway, A-S-T-A-R-O dot com, or you can call 877, the number 4, A-S-T-A-R-O, and schedule a free trial of an Astaro Security Gateway appliance in your business. Really see what it can do for you. They know once you try it out, you're going to want one. And by the way, non-business users, you can use their software absolutely free. It's open source and available at ASTARO.com. We thank them for the support of Security Now. Also, we want to thank Dell for uh, supporting us. And Dell's uh, been advertising for the last three months with great success. And we really, really thank the Twit audience, the Twit army. For uh, making it so, we've used Dell for so long on the TV shows, and I own Dell computers. In fact, my new laptop's a Dell. In fact, I, what I've done is put uh, some links to the newest Dells. We just got both of the TV show and me personally on our Leo's Picks page. That's twit.tv slash Dell. Just go there, visit, take a look, click the links. If you uh, want to buy something else, let's say one of those great Dell 24-inch monitors. I love those. Steve has a bunch of them. Uh, just click the link uh, at the top there that says go to Dell. And anything you buy after that point uh, is credited to Twit. So uh, we do appreciate that. That's twit.tv slash Dell. And now back to Steve Gibson and Security Now. Is crypto always the foundation of anonymity? It has to be scrambled, I guess, to be anonymous. um, Well, I guess. I mean, you know, if you look at a real-world example where somebody just writes something on a piece of paper, if they wrote it with the other hand that they normally use and they passed it through three or four people, none of whom knew the person before the one that they'd received it from, and so no one knew who they were going to be giving it to. I mean, you know, you, you could invent real-world anonymizing solutions which are non-crypto-oriented. So I would say that, in general, crypto is not necessary, but it turns out that, that in order to make it, certainly on the Internet, in order to achieve the 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 goals of of not being able to associate 
a, a the sender and the receiver of information, uh, crypto really does play a, a strong role because it, it allows you to have provable enforceability of these things. So so let's step back a little bit and and just notice that that one of the reasons anonymity is so difficult and one of the first things I said last week was anonymity internet anonymity is much harder to achieve than most people appreciate the the reason internet anonymity is so difficult is essentially like so many things the internet was not designed to provide it was never designed to provide anonymity to people that just wasn't in the design specs it wasn't part of the plan and and the most perfect example of of that fact is that IP addresses are the way packets route from one end to the other so as we know all internet endpoint systems machines routers whatever are identified uniquely on the net by an IP address well I mean that's Technically, it's anonymous in as much as it doesn't tell you the name of the company or the name of the person with the IP, but it is it is a tag that can be used to uniquely identify every sender and receiver of traffic on the net. So it's the first uh, thing you want to get rid of in anonymity. Yes, exactly. I mean, it is it, it is it is the way the net is structured and the way data moves is there's this there, there's never been a notion on the net of of anonym of, of the internet being about anonymity so the point is anything we do to add that is a layer on top of the existing structure which was just never designed to be anonymous so so i mean it's a hard thing to do another example from things we've discussed before is SMTP headers. We've been talking about, for example, if I send email through Google, but from my e my own system's email client, rather than from a web page at the Google server, there are headers which are added that identify the my IP as the originating IP. And in fact, that's the case even if you use um, Hotmail or Yahoo, and you use their browser interface the IP you sent from is there and in fact the SMTP protocol that the the protocol for routing email across the internet in order to avoid the the potential for routing loops that is where email is sent from one SMTP server to another it sends it to a third and due to some misconfiguration the third server sends it back to the first well, if there wasn't some way to prevent, to, to, to record the path the email had taken so far, then it would be possible for the email to get stuck forever being forwarded through, um, you know, multiple SMTP servers in some sort of a routing loop. So, so the, very, the very structure of the Internet requires real identification. Exactly, exactly. I mean, many things about the net are, are assuming that you're going to create some sort of a record of of the path that the data took or certainly the IP that originated the data so that you're able to send something back so as so as a consequence that all of the technology we've got in place is is about being non-anonymous not necessarily identifiable to an individual or a corporation but certainly backtrackable to the 
to the physical sort of electrical source of the data. So, so two technologies we talked about last week um, are are different in what they achieve. I want to talk about Freenet only briefly because there isn't that much to say about it, and then we'll 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 sort of finish out by talking in detail about how Tor works. For, um, many, as I mentioned also last week, many anonymizing systems deliberately don't allow people to to anonymously create content. That's not what they're about. You know, the famous anonymizer.com system, which has been around for a decade, you know, they're about allowing users of their service to anonymously visit websites. And so those users are pulling existing public content, but their the identity that, uh, well, their own identity, their IP address, and presumably cookies and other bits of debris that might be part of the of the of the http transaction those are being deliberately cleansed and filtered by this this anonymizing proxy and and their actual address is being hidden we we remember also that but by default a proxy will include the ip of the user for whom it is performing the proxy service for example um, cable modem companies use a, a caching proxy in order to l minimize their use of bandwidths for all their consumers who are for example going to the same page or or wanting to download the same gifs and so forth from web servers if the if the caching proxy has the data it doesn't need to ask the server for it again that minimizes the ISPs transit bandwidth and allows the ISP to keep the bandwidth within its own organization for which it you know pays a much lower cost because it's using its own infrastructure but when requests leave that ISP almost always there will be a tag in there saying I am making this request on behalf of the following IP so again that proxy is not helping anonymity at all and it's very possible then for the website to to see where the request really came from so an anonymizing proxy that is a proxy that is deliberately designed to to hide the identity of of someone for whom it is making the request it will not add those those sort of those optional headers which really don't have to be there anyway and it will make the request just as if it was making it on its own behalf and then turn around and send the response back so so that's a you know there there's anonymity be, being provided there but as we also mentioned last week it's not very good because i mean it really wasn't meant to be ultra robust well isn't there i mean doesn't the server know where it came from I and mean, that's part of the problem that the server can keep track of that well yes yeah, certainly their own records if they were maintaining records they could but imagine an external agency for example a government that wants to know who is making who is making stuff yeah exactly who who is who who is using an, an anonymizing proxy in order to hide their identity all that person would have to do is analyze the traffic patterns coming to and from right. well, okay i mean okay in in the simplest case imagine that only one user was using the proxy well if one user was using the proxy 
packets would go to the proxy. They would come out the other end, go to a web server. The responses would come back from the web server, and they would go back out of the other end of the proxy back to the user. So obviously, anyone looking at the traffic could determine what you know which user was visiting. You know that you know they would know. The, yeah, the but that's IP. the trivial case. I mean, it, it, there's a lot more than one person using these things. Well, and so I wanted to point out though that that's the level of. I mean that that's the 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 way this can be busted is not only using timing but using packet sizing because another way to associate incoming and outgoing traffic is to look at the packet sizes which may you know may or may not be changing dramatically in size so 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 my point is that yes when many users are using a single focal point then it's more difficult but but more difficult still not being i mean still being a way way short of being impossible by doing traffic analysis right. so traffic analysis is something that the people who who built the tor network for example and to a somewhat lesser degree the 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 freenet network that's something they recognized as an achilles heel for anonymity busting and they've gone to substantial lengths to get around that and that's uh, that, that's what we'll be talking about when we talk about tor but but Freenet differs from many of these other anonymizing systems because it is all about storage. That's what it's about. It's about basically creating dark networks, as they call them, of, of storage. Users of Freenet give up. They, they, they basically share unused hard drive space to participate in this Freenet database. In, in sort of in the same way that the people who run the SETI screensaver right. are are contributing their unused CPU cycles, um, and and sort of the way that like um, users of traditional peer-to-peer -peer file sharing, like like you know Kazaa and and LimeWire and all those, they're they're basically allowing unused band their unused bandwidth and also their storage in some cases to uh, to be used. Similarly, Freenet users are saying, okay. I want to participate in this distributed database, so I'm going to give up a chunk of my hard drive in return for being able to use chunks of everybody else's hard drive in this network. The way the system works is, um, and, and probably since so many people are probably familiar, at least in passing, with Kazaa, for example, or any of the traditional, the traditional file peer to peer file sharing systems those systems have a number of problems first of all and, and probably mostly the 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 data being sent back and forth is not powerfully encrypted so it's possible for for someone to to create a you know a sort of a pseudo user and obtain known copyrighted files from somebody else and you know who has them the files stored on people's hard drives are not encrypted. They're just the regular file, and they bear their regular file name. So it's very easy for the RIAA to issue subpoenas, cause you know the police or the FBI or whatever law enforcement to visit someone's home, you know, grab their computer, do a directory listing, and see all of the copyrighted material these people have. So what Freenet has done is they have completely solved all of that problem. 
That is, as, as we were saying last week, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a fact that, that you cannot have enforceable copyright if you have freedom of speech. So, and I want to make very clear that I'm not advocating any breaking of copyright. I'm just talking about the technology. We, you know, we covered the social and political aspects last week. So I'm just, you know, I'm wanting to explain how this works rather than, you know, running around cheering it on. That's, that's not what I'm, I'm here for. What the system does is someone who wants to submit a file, whatever kind of file, it could be, you know, political agenda, it could be anything. I mean, Freenet basically is a, is a very secure and anonymizing distributed database. Somebody submitting the file generates a, a hash of, of whatever they want to call it. So they, they could call it, you know, Batman Begins DVD.iso. I mean, they, <laughs> that, 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 that's what they can call it if they want to. But that it is hashed using 160-bit SHA-1 hashing. And we know from, from prior Security Now episodes where we've talked about that, what that does is a cryptographic hash takes a string of plain text, that is to say the name of the file, and converts it to a, a very likely to be unique hash that is 160 bit that looks just like random data. If you change any character in the name, the hash ends up having, if it's a good hash, about half of its bits will get flipped. And it'll just look like it's, like it's a random flipping of bits. There's, there's no way, and this is the key, there's no way to go backwards. That is, you, you, you put the, the file name, you know, Batman Begins DVD.iso into this hashing function. Out the other end comes 160 bits. Well, every time you put the same name in, you're going to get the same 160 bits out. But there is no way to having the 160 bits to reverse that process. You can do a, what's called a dictionary attack. That is to say, you could guess that something was this name and put it in and see if the 160 bits matched. And if you got a, a collision, there's a high probability that the same string was used, but it's not provable. That is, even then, even when you get what's called a hash collision, meaning that you, were, you, you put something in and you got the same result out, there's never a way to prove that the that there well because in fact mathematically we know there are a great many strings in theory that can generate the same 160 bits so you have provable deniability there well through this process of encryption and and hashing of of descriptive keys freenet is able to provide anonymous storage of anything people want to store there's a problem with what's called a flat namespace, meaning that all people who were using Freenet were using sort of like the same hash. So they're so what they've done is they've created this notion of of private namespaces, meaning that an individual user will have their own handle, and so their own handle is used along with the the, the file name or 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 file description that they want to submit to create a hash. And that prevents somebody else from, you know, w with their own handle from uh, who submits um, a file that happens to collide 
in terms of hashing, it prevents that collision from happening because individual users have have uh, di um, distinct handles. There's also, I mean, it's it's such a complex protocol. I've I've looked at it. I've I've understood what they're doing, but it's really not necessary to get into the to, to, to the minutia of the details of how they perform encryption. But um, I do have a link on our on our show notes for a PDF that completely describes this. If this description ends up interesting someone who wants to really get into it, because these guys have worked out the system such that that a free net system of of these nodes. All nodes are peers. They're identical. They don't have knowledge of each other beyond their own local neighbors. And that's a, a deliberate um, measure to increase anonymity. So the idea is when someone inserts a document, a file of any type and, and description into the system, it just gets absorbed by this distributed network. There are indexes running on nodes that index based on the the proximity of the hash so the system self-organizes and it, it means that when if you were to tell somebody else go get this file from freenet they are able from their no matter where they are geographically to to in into their own node to say i would like to retrieve this file they do it using the the plain text strings they were given, meaning the user's name and or the user handle and the, the file description, the, the free net hashes that into these, these indexes. From, the, from that and from other material, they're able to generate cryptographic keys which are able to decrypt the file because all the contents is stored encrypted in a way that is really secure. So there isn't a way if someone did bust down someone's door and say, hey, we know you're running a free net node. You know, we want what's on your drive. Well, all that's there is a bunch of random bits. Now, it, I have just... to say, I mean, this all sounds really good. And I guess we talked about this last episode. I just want to kind of underscore this because I know people are thinking this as they listen. Okay, so I'm allowing people to store pirated movies on my hard drive. Why is that yep. a good thing? <laughs> I mean, and, 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 and that now, Leo, now that I've sort of better explained the power of this, now you can understand why I wanted to, yeah. to spend some time last week and say, well, you know, I, you know, and this is also why I just said I'm not advocating this. I, I mean, bet there's right, a lot more pirated stuff or maybe illegal stuff than there is dissent and, and you know, documents from uh, whistleblowers and things like that. I think that's probably the case. <laughs> like 99.99%. I mean, I mean it, it is a powerful archiving system for 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 trading and 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 posting, you know, anything, and you can, you know, I mean, you know, and, and, and again, we, as I said last week, and th this comes from the Freenet papers, um, if you have, if you have, in, in order to get free speech, you must have anonymity, because speech is not going to be truly free if it's not anonymous, or if you at least don't have the option of it being anonymous. And, and similarly, copyright requires enforcement but enforcement requires a lack of anonymity otherwise there's no one to enforce against which means that if you're going to have free speech you are not going to have copyright enforcement and so uh -huh. you the, did say that last week now i understand why 
Right. Yeah. And, and and so the point is, these Freenet guys, the the people who have designed this and put it together, I mean, they're they're adamant about the necessity for free speech. Free speech means anonymity. Anonymity means non-enforceability of copyrights. And I mean, and there just isn't a way around. I mean, it is a it is a legal, social, political dilemma. But you know, our society has lots of those. And so here's one more. But right. but, but yes, I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you reinforced the idea that I mean, what this really means is people who participate in Freenet who who want the option of of accessing this data and who are contributing a chunk of their hard drive, their hard drive is probably storing really bad stuff. Because just, I mean, in general, bad stuff is the stuff that has to hide, and this is all about mm. hiding. Mm. You know, it's about anonymity and yep. hiding. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Because, uh, you know, so, I, I, after we talked about it last time, I, I went and I looked at the site and I thought, I'll download this and saw it because I want to support freedom. But I, I decided not to for that very reason. I thought, but I don't know, I don't know if I want to support storing other stuff. It's yeah, a very I mean, tough choice. You know, and as, as we talked about, I mean, anonymity, even anonymity by itself, is a, is a double-edged sword. Right. In, in, my own, in my own news groups, I know that the anonymity I freely offer people who post helps them to say what they want to say. And I want to know what they really want right, to say. Right. I don't want to hold them accountable. I don't want anyone to be able to hold them accountable. So it's completely cool with me if, you know, if unknown people are posting things because it's a good thing. At the same time, we in the past, as I mentioned, we've had trouble being trolled by people who were, in, in everyone's opinion there, were abusing that anonymity and and causing problems as a consequence of you know right. posting content they wouldn't have posted if their identity was or you know was enforceably known which you know it isn't so but anyway I mean it is a mixed blessing but it is it is a powerful technology that exists and I wanted to talk about it and uh, I'm glad you did and uh, well, so it's it's a tough one I just don't know what the answer is yeah I know. Okay, so Tor. Let's talk about Tor. Because so that was Freenet. All right. That was Freenet. Uh, Freenet being a distributed, anonymizing, encrypting, uh, you know, database that runs on Freenet nodes scattered far and wide, designed to allow people to anonymously, securely share any content of any kind whatsoever, and um, and they and they've achieved it. Okay, Tor is different, and Tor um, is something that interests a lot of people. We talked about the vulnerability of using a single proxy as an anonymizer because, in fact, traffic analysis, while complicated, is is in you know like in cryptographic terms, it's trivial. If if you take the case of one user using a proxy, it's obvious. Who they are and and what sites they're visiting because anything they do is being done on their behalf by the proxy. Okay, so now that's easy. Now two users are using the proxy. Well, it's a little more difficult, but by looking at the timing of the arrival and 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 departure of packets and the relative sizes of the packets, you could still probably disambiguate the 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 actions of two users across a single proxy. So now we increase it to four and five and six and so forth. Well, okay, clearly the more active it is, 
the easier it is, or I'm sorry, the more difficult it is to to disambiguate queries. But it's not difficult on a like a really, really, really hard scale. Also, you have the ability of st of storing the traffic, and um, and doing a, an analysis of it after the fact. So you you could just capture a huge blob of traffic and then take your time analyzing it to any level of detail needed in order to make your determinations about who was making queries where. The point is that using a single proxy is just not sufficiently anonymous. There, there isn't a way to, to, to make it work well enough. So knowing that, this notion of a network of proxies was created, and that's what TOR is. Uh, TOR stands for the onion router, T-O-R, the onion router. And and as I got into this, I realized, okay, we do, I really have to explain how this works because it is so cool. I mean, it is very clever. Um, at the moment, there are nearly a thousand onion routers operating in a network. The EFF, the Electronic um, Frontier Foundation, has been a major... Uh, sponsor and funder of this because they want to promote this notion of of anonymity. Um, I mean, and, and and actually promote the the actual execution. I mean, the availability of anonymity on the internet because they believe in free speech and and think that this is something that is is worth you know making sure we don't lose. So so you've we start with a massive network of of onion router nodes. Somebody wants to create a connection through this network to a remote server. They, they want to use it for web serving, they want to use it for, for sending messages, for email or whatever. The, the, the Tor system, which is in its second generation now, is a general purpose TCP conduit. So in, instead of being protocol specific, for example, like a proxy might be an HTTP web proxy and proxying web requests. The Onion router system is a is a general purpose TCP transmission system, so you're able to potentially run any protocols through it that you want to. The, the originator of a connection chooses at random some number of Onion routers that are in the network. And these things, since there's nearly a thousand of them, they're scattered far and wide all over the globe. Now, the more you choose, the more hops your traffic will have to go through, so the greater latency you'll have in your communication. That's so, a complaint people always have with Anonymizer, too, which works in a similar fashion, that it slows you down. Right, well, and, and there's just there's no way around the fact that it's going to slow you down. One of the really important features of this system is that is is that by by going from hop to hop where these hops between routers have been carefully designed and that's what I'm going to talk about next is I mean exactly how this works by by going from hop to hop with with this protocol this onion routing protocol that's where you get the power of real anonymity even, and, the, and the system is robust even in the face of many routers being compromised. I mean, bad people, governments, um, you know, anybody 
who was you know not acting in the best interests of the people using the system could set up a a malicious onion router this system however still functions robustly even in the presence of malicious onion routers that are being are deliberately being run in order to try to break the system i suppose there's no way that they could prevent that i mean people are going to set up malicious onion routers well yes and and in fact or spying onion routers that's one of the attractive things about this is that because you've got nearly a thousand of these and they're in all kinds of different countries they're being run by you know many of them by really trustworthy organizations where you like okay i trust the eff to be you know really to be on my side right but for example a company like anonymizer i don't mean anything against them this is it's a great service they provide but if the government issued them a subpoena and they're the sole controller of their anonymizing service they could be forced legally to do something they would rather not do the beauty of of this massive network of nodes controlled by all kinds of distributed entities all over the globe and 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 foreign countries and and the need not to trust individual nodes i mean it really is the perfect solution so the way this works is somebody who wants to create a a circuit through multiple onion routers um, chooses the the routers they want to use and the order in which they're going to their traffic is going to move from router to router there's probably a default setting right i mean not you don't have to go through this every time well i don't mean that the user manually oh, chooses okay. i mean i mean that the system chooses for you Got but it. i sort of, I'm, I'm sort of operating down at the protocol level right. the way the way the system works is a random set of routers is chosen all routers have a a public key pair that is they have their own private key that only they know and they have a public key and as we remember the way this functions is something can be encrypted using their publicly available key which everyone can know and once encrypted that data can only be decrypted using the matching private key that that, that 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 router never divulges that that's its secret key that matches its public key so all routers have these these asymmetric or, or or public key pairs what happens is the the user starts at the 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 far router i mean it, it the the user is is going to build what's called an onion and and the the term onion is used because we're used to onions being being um, uh, um, created in layers, having you know, skins, you, you, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. Ha- having skins, and and you successively peel off the layers of the onion. Right. So, so it's like an onion. So so conceptually, Sorry, you, just, you didn't see Shrek, so you wouldn't. Get that. <laughs> I did not see Shrek. I said, he's a, a big green thing. That's yeah, all yeah, I yeah. know. But he says ogres are like onions; they got many layers. Okay, so and so, so are tor routers. So are tor routers. Uh, so are tor routers. Yes. yes. So so the users uh, preparing the onion um, takes the the the. I really threw you with that, didn't I? I'm sorry. I won't say anything more about ogres and onions. <laughs> this, is re- this is really complicated. So, you know, so I want people to, to pay attention. I mean, this okay. is really it's really complicated but really good. So, the user 
takes the public key of the last router in the chain that they've chosen, and they 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 take a randomly generated symmetric key, which is is going to be used to decrypt the traffic it receives, and they encrypt that symmetric key with the route that last router's public key. So now they have a blob that that contains a an encrypted symmetric key that only the last router is able to decrypt using its private key. Okay? That makes sense. Okay. Okay. Now they take that blob, they they come up with another they, they just randomly generate another symmetric key, which the second to the last router is going to use to decrypt the traffic it receives and the symmetric key they gave to, I'm sorry, yeah, the, the, to decrypt the traffic it receives and the identity of the next router that is the last router in the chain, which is the one to which the second to the last router will send its traffic. So, so there's another symmetric key and the routing information for the second to the last router and the blob which that which we have from our first encryption this we we encrypt this entire thing using that second to the last router's public key now our onion has two layers now we step back to the third router we invent we randomly create another symmetric key which it will use to decrypt the traffic it receives and we give it the routing instructions for the second for, for for the for the router second to last meaning the one it will forward its traffic to and that entire blob we had before that that two layer onion and we encrypt the whole thing using that third to the last router's public key now our onion has three layers and we continually step backwards wow. Building this onion, this nested, in, in this net, nested multi-layer encryption, each layer encrypted with a successive router's public key, which only that router knows how to decrypt, and each layer containing a symmetric key, which was generated randomly by us um, at our end. When we're finally done, we we have this. We've stepped back through the whole chain, back to the the onion router that we will be using to inject our traffic, and so now we've got this this thing called an onion. We we give it to that first router. It uses its private key to decrypt the outer layer of the onion. Only it is able to do so. Nobody listening in on the traffic is able to see that happen. Only it internally knows how to use its private key to take the wrapper off of the onion. When it does so, it has an, an opaque blob that it doesn't that it cannot decrypt because only the next router in the chain has the matching private key to decrypt the next layer. But when it decrypts it, it it finds a symmetric key which it will use for decrypting traffic it receives and the routing instructions for the next router that's so so even somebody there's no way to even know 
by looking at the onion what the path will be. Only the router that decrypts its layer knows the identity of the next router in the chain. It knows nothing about any other routers in the chain. It doesn't even know how many other routers there are. It knows nothing except its own local, I'm going to receive data, decrypt very with a clever. And and where do I send the result? That's very so, slick. That's so oh, slick. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. So, of course, this thing then, send. it now knows where to send the remaining blob uh, to, uh, it knows which router to send the remaining blob to. It's the so-called onion. It sends it to that router. That router receives it, uses its private key, which is the only key which can be used to take that the next layer off the onion. That From that, it gets its symmetric key for this connection and the routing instructions for the next router. And it forwards this thing down. So this onion, which was built once in the beginning, it then moves through the network, basically informing each node of the onion router system only the information it has to have. In I mean, literally, only the information it has to have. How to decrypt what you receive, who to send it to. It doesn't. And 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 the each onion router only knows one step in the chain and no more. That seems uh, impervious to any kind of, uh, including, oh, it, uh, including a corrupt router. I mean, it is just, it is just deliciously yeah. robust, yeah. Leo. I just love it. However, so, it seems like there's also a lot of overhead. You've got a lot of encrypting and decrypting going on. Well, now that's the other beauty of this, is remember that, that, that asymmetric encryption is very slow. Public key crypto is on the order of 100 times slower than symmetric. So all of that work only needs to be done once. What we just did was we established a circuit. We have not sent any data yet. Oh, I the, get it. Okay. The, uh, the, the onion is not a data carrier. It's just a, a circuit creator. It's a route, basically. It, exactly. It is a, an incredibly cool, secure route that also manages to, to supply symmetric keys to every router along the way. Now we want to send data. To send data, we take the actual data we want to send. The first thing we do is pad it out to a fixed size. That's one of the other cool things these guys did. They recognized that traffic analysis could use the packet size for disambiguation, as we saw in the, in the simple single proxy case. So they completely solved that so that no matter how big the packets actually are, we're going to pad them out to full size so that all packets moving among the routers within the onion router system are the same size. You can no longer use size to give you any clues because oh. they're, all, they're all the same. PGP does that too. That's a great technique. Yes. So the, uh, so the next thing we do then is we, we take the data we want to send, we so we use symmetric encryption. Remember, that's very fast. Symmetric encryption is very, I mean, it's like, it's like not a concern anymore. It's so fast. We, we, we first encrypt it with the last symmetric key. That is with the, actually the first symmetric key we generated, which we gave to the last onion router in the chain. Then we encrypt that with the second to the last symmetric key, we encrypt that with a third to the last symmetric key, and so on, working ourselves back up the chain. So we have something still the same size, 
That is, it is, it is the, because symmetric encryption doesn't change the size. Remember, it just flips the bits. So we've got something which has been encrypted n number of times where n is the number of routers in our onion routing chain. We then give this blob to the first onion router. The, we, the last encryption we did was with its symmetric key. So it's able to decrypt it. But, when it, but remember, all it's doing is decrypting a, a layer of encryption. It, it's still a blob. That is, it's, it's still encrypted n minus 1 times using keys it has no knowledge of. It, because those keys were buried in layers of the onion, which were encrypted using the public keys of the other routers that can only be decrypted using their private keys that no one has any way of knowing. So it takes this and simply, so it runs a, a very fast symmetric decryption on what it receives and forwards it to the next router that in the circuit because it, it's maintained a, um, a, a circuit awareness of what its next router is. Remember, it knows nothing other than the next router. That router receives it, sees what circuit ID it is, looks it up in its table. It uses its symmetric key to, to again, perform the same decryption on this, on this data packet, which it then forwards to the next router. The beauty of this is there is no way for anyone looking at an Onion router to have any clue what's going on. Not only are, are the packets all the same size, but because a symmetric decryption occurs between incoming and outgoing data, and we know that, 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 that state-of-the-art encryption just looks like randomness, there is no correlation between the data of the packets coming in and going out. It's just, you know, you get, it, it looks like it's just packets noise. of random, yes, yeah. packets of noise came in, packets of noise went out. And because this is a richly interconnected system, packets are coming in from all these onion routers all over and going out to all these onion routers all over, but there's nothing to help you determine which one is which. I mean, like, pack, you know, like wh where the circuits are, there's just, there's no way to figure that out. So when this, when this data packet finally gets all the way through its multiple hops, it is finally decrypted with the last symmetric key by the last node and it is that is again the text or the or the data that you originally put in at the front end and baby that is anonymous <laughs> I'm, wait a minute that's the title of this show baby that's anonymous <laughs> and by the way you've more than made up for if anybody who thought last show was fluffy you've more than made up for it with this one but once again it's very elegant to to, to see this really nifty solution to a, a, a complex problem oh i just i mean it is it's one of these things where and i and i, I promised our listeners this a year ago that once we had the foundations of symmetric and asymmetric crypto under our belts so we could talk about the things you could do with it this is the kind of stuff you can do i mean it just it is so neat and there's thousands well not thousands there are it's more than many hundred it's i think nearly a thousand of these onion router nodes the system is called tor tor the onion router it is slow i mean it's not like you know 
going to Microsoft.com or Yahoo or Google and where you're making a point-to-point -point connection, but they know everything. They, they, they care to know about who you are. The, the trade-off is you need to go through multiple hops. We've seen why multiple hops are necessary, why just running through a single proxy server doesn't really give you robust anonymity, but this onion routing system does, and, and it is just, it's just elegant. Yeah. TOR.EFF.ORG is a good place to go to find out more and actually to start using the uh, Tor system. Well, now I feel... The thing about Tor, unlike Freenet, you're not really volunteering... Unless you volunteer to be a Tor system, you're not volunteering uh, for anything you might not be comfortable with. Uh, well, yes, and, and you you're can right. use Tor completely freely and safely. Yes. I mean, you could certainly be an onion router, in which case you would be offering your node as to, to enrich the network. You'd be offering your bandwidth also. Right. Um, but, but you don't have to, would, to use it. That, that, that is correct. You are able just to be a user of the network. You would also, I, I was going to say, you, you would be offering your bandwidth. You would be offering your node to enhance the anonymity creating ability right. of the network, but you would not be offering any storage You don't space. store anything, right. Exactly. Hey, I want to thank you, Steve, for clarifying this and for talking about it because I think it's very important, and I'm a big believer in freedom of speech and privacy, and I think these two technologies are very important uh, to preserving that. I, I guess my position is if somebody needs it or wants it, it's it cool is. that yeah. it is available to That's them. That's exactly yes. right. That's exactly right. Uh, what else is available? GRC.com, a great place to go to protect your system, whether it's with Shields Up, the free tester that'll test your router or your firewall, uh, or many of his free programs, you know, Shoot the Messenger, Decombobulator, Unplug and Pray, and on and on and on, and a new one coming up any day now. Yep. I G get to work on it now. <laughs> GRC. you got a couple of weeks to work on it. Yeah, GRC.com. That's where you'll also find the show notes with the 16-kilobit uh, versions for the bandwidth impaired and the transcriptions by Elaine, so you can read along. This is one you probably will want to read along to, I have a feeling. Uh, and SpinWrite's there, too. That's uh, Steve's uh, daily bread and butter. He uh, has been writing that, wrote that program about 15 years ago now. You're in version 6, and it's still going yep. strong. Still the best I think no. I think there is no question the best disk recovery and maintenance utility uh, on the market today. If you have a hard drive, you need Spinrite. Any good letters lately from uh, Spinrite? I got I got one cool one. Um, it's it's from a guy. He said, "I'd like to thank you for Spinrite Six. I was handed a computer with a completely dead hard drive from a Catholic parish. Huh. I he said I tried two other tools." which ran in Windows, both locked up at about 60% into the test. He, he said, I then put these aside and bought Spinrite. I had been meaning to buy it for myself anyway, since I'm the one people seem to come to, or, or right. to, to, people seem to come begging to around here. <laughs> and that's who he should said, have it. The people, you know, that's why I have it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, said, um, he said, it took Spinrite a long time to complete, but when it was done, I was able to get the data off the drive. There were some corrupted files, but the parish said I had the most valuable ones. Wow. He said, he said, this may sound strange, but I was also able to prove to them that even though we were able to get the data back, the drive should be replaced. Watching Spinrite work on the drive also helped me to convince them to take the time to back up. Well, there you go. Um, well, that yep. was worth it then. So it was a, a win for everybody. <laughs> yep. Well, Steve, I thank you so much. Uh, we will uh, 
uh, adjourn and then restore, return to uh, our regular security meeting in a week on Thursdays, as always, by hook or by crook. He's trying to catch up with Twit. <laughs> we'll see you next week for episode 71, Steve. Thanks a lot. Security Thanks. now.